Hello, this is Rabbi Daniel Karopkin. Welcome to this podcast for learning the classic philosophical work by Maimonides, or Rambam, called More Nevuchim, or Guide for the Perplexed. This text has been studied for centuries by great scholars, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. It seeks to reconcile Aristotelian and Neoplatonic philosophy with the Torah of our people, and is considered the perfect entree for reconciling one's spiritual and rational personas. Join me for half-hour installments as we explore the text together. Okay, I think we're ready to get started. I think we are. We have started streaming at this point, and now we're ready to get going. Um, last week, uh, we started chapter 69, and I, because I'm so poor in math, I said this, this was starting the last seven chapters of the first section. I meant to say the last eight chapters. I have difficulty counting sometimes. Chapters 69 through 76 um, are unique chapters in the first section of the More Nevuchim because they discuss the Rambam's uh, polemics against the Mutakalimun or the Kalamists. And we gave an introduction last week to the Kalamists. And what's fascinating, you know, it's just, it's it's mind-boggling when you, when you think about what the Rambam has chosen to do in this work, in these chapters. He has decided to undertake a sort of a disputation against traditionalists uh, because the Kalamists really take a more traditional God-centered, um, I wouldn't say Bible-centered, but certainly Quranic-centered view of God as a creator, God as the, the worker of miracles, the, the traditional uh, worldview that we share in common with most Abrahamic faiths, which is that God is the creator, God performs miracles, and God can do whatever he wishes. He's omnipotent and omniscient and supernatural. And the Rambam finds himself in the position where, while he too is a traditionalist, but he's also an Aristotelian, and he uh, is uh, he's concerned that the Kalamists have thrown out the baby with the bathwater and have come to the conclusion that there are certain aspects of Aristotelian philosophy which are irreconcilable with faith. And as a result, the Rambam takes, has, has, finds himself in the unique position of arguing against traditional faith-based belief in defense of Aristotelian philosophy. And in this particular chapter, it has to do with defining God as what the Aristotelians know him as, as the prime cause or the prime mover. And we're going to explain in this chapter why the uh, why uh, uh, philosophers believe that God as a prime cause is an apt definition of God, even if you believe in God as a creator. The irony of it all is that one of the arguments of the Kalamists against Aristotelians was by defining God as a prime cause, you're essentially taking away any volition, any um, decision-making from God and turning him into almost like a machine that uh, automatically emanates um, uh, uh, existence from itself and really doesn't have any choice in the matter because that's just the nature of this prime cause as has been described in secular Aristotelian philosophy. Furthermore, uh, Aristotle himself believed that the universe has eternally existed 
because he did not believe in a God who is a creator per se, but rather just as being responsible for the motion of everything that exists and, and its maintenance and keeping it moving and working throughout existence. But that to say that God inserted himself in time and at one point created is something that is anathema because God exists outside of time. So therefore, everything has always existed as it is today. The, the, the universe has always existed in concert with this prime cause or prime mover. And that's something that the Rambam himself will end up having to disagree with, but later on in the next section of Morena Vuchim. But for now, he has to uh, defend why it's appropriate, even if you believe as I do, and as the Kalamists do in, in God as a creator, that nonetheless, saying that God is the prime cause is actually accurate. If I could just give a, a modern day analogy, it would be as if uh, 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 a, a, a rabbinic or um, a religious philosopher was going to be presented with the biblical account of creation and the theory of evolution. And he said, no, even though my fellow co-religionists believe that evolution is incompatible with uh, the story of the Bible of creation, they are mistaken and evolution is actually correct. It's almost like the Rambam is taking that kind of attitude where he basically says, and not in any apologetics, uh, engaging in apologetics, he's actually, he's very committed to this idea. And the reason why it's so important to the Rambam to make this point is because his belief is that without a correct understanding of the Rebona Shalom, without a correct understanding of God, a Jew cannot attain spiritual perfection. You can only attain spiritual perfection if you understand God for whom he truly is. And if you have a mistaken conception of God, then you cannot, you can never attain true perfection and true attachment because knowledge equals conjunction. It, it, it equals uniting with God. And if you have a mistaken understanding of God, then you cannot truly unite with him. You cannot have that true devekut, that true attachment. So in order to help us understand why the Rambam feels it necessary to call, to call God the prime cause as one of the, as the, probably what he feels is the most appropriate way of, of defining uh, Hashem as he truly is, let's take a look at something, uh, um, a, um, a handout that I have for you that I've already posted online uh, in the course description and as well in the, um, in the Facebook group, Shi'ur in Morena Vuchim. So this is straight out of Wikipedia. It's uh, uh, the four causes of Aristotle. In physics, uh, book two, section three, and in metaphysics, book five, section two, Aristotle holds that there are four kinds of answers to why questions. And the only thing that I've done to tamper with this text is to include the Hebrew word for these four causes. Now, this is a philosophical sort of uh, structuring. Uh, it's a, a philosophical structure of that you can say that anything that exists in the physical world has four causes. It has the material cause, the formal cause, the efficient cause, and the final cause. And the analogy that's given, and this is straight out of, this is a also a photograph from, or a, a graphic from Wikipedia itself, but which is standard, sort of like phil, uh, uh, Greek philosophy 101 or Aristotelianism 101, is let's say you have a table. Here's your picture of the table in the center. 
So this table, if you wanted to answer the question, what is the cause of this table? There are four ways of answering the cause of this table. Now, remember, in order to fully appreciate this, Aristotle divided all that exists in the physical world between matter and form. So when we say that something has a material cause, it means that what is the matter that contributes to the existence of the table? So the material cause is the wood. And what is the formal cause of the table? That which gives the table its form. So it's the thought that the carpenter has in his mind of the shape and contour of the table and the, the texture of the table. And so the formal cause of the existence of the table is the design of the table that exists in the mind of the carpenter. What is the efficient cause? The thing that the, the instrument that brings the table into existence in both its matter and form being united and turning it into a table, that's the tools of the carpenter. And therefore you see the hammer and the chisel over here in this picture. It's really, you could say it's the carpenter or more accurately, the most efficient or the most um, proximal efficient cause is not even the carpenter, but rather it is the hammer and chisel of the carpenter, which are actually giving the table its form made out of the matter of the wood. And finally, this is the final cause or the, uh, the end cause. And what that means is, is that we're asking a slightly different question. What is the cause of the table? Meaning the table is here because fill in the blank. Why is there a table here? Well, we know how the table got here, but why is the table in existence? And the, the function or the objective of having a table here is because you want people to be able to have dinner and to be able to dine together. So that's the final cause of the table. So these are the four causes of Aristotle, the material cause, the, for, the formal cause, the efficient cause, and the final cause. Okay, and the Rambam makes reference to all four of these just as far as understanding the Hebrew terminology. And you'll find this, by the way, not only in Maimonidean writing, but you'll find this, the Maharal talks about this a lot. Many people don't recognize that the Maharal lived really towards the end of the period of Aristotelianism, and therefore he borrowed liberally from Aristotelianism when he speaks extensively in many of his writings about Homer and Surah, about matter and form. So the material cause would be called, what is the Homer that goes into the making of the table? That would be wood. The, what is the Tsura that goes into the making of the table? That is the image or the, the, the contour and the shape of the table that exists in the mind of someone who will bring the table into existence. What is the efficient cause? What, is the, who is the, what actually makes the table and brings it into existence? That's what we call a po'el. And finally, what is the objective of the table? That's what we call tachlit, or as we would say, tachlis, right? That's, you know, brass tacks. What's the final objective? What's the tachlis of the existence of the table? Now, the Rambam addresses that in this chapter, three out of the four of these causes and says that they all three out of these four causes all aptly apply to God. And so if we, if we were to start on page 168, where he talks about 
the four different kinds of causes. He starts off with saying that God is the efficient cause of the existence of everything. And therefore, to say that God is the prime cause, um, right, to say that he is the poel rishon, right, and so that's, you know, uh, that is an accurate depiction of God. And that's what the Aristotelians mean when they say that God is the prime cause. They are defining God as the cause because they are using efficient cause and applying it to God. So in one sense, is God the efficient cause of the existence of everything? Well, while it's true that God is not the most proximal efficient cause, because if we were to say, well, how did everything get here? Well, I got here because my parents gave birth to me. My thoughts got here because I was able to develop those thoughts and I was able to connect with what we talked about before, the active intellect and get inspired by different ideas. And I was able to produce things through the work of my hands. But ultimately, if we go back, everything has a cause to it. And as the, as the, as the Rambam uh, explains in this paragraph, the second paragraph of the page on page 168 in the Pines edition, that uh, he uses Arabic letters, but, uh, but basically he says, um, the affected thing has a certain N as its efficient cause, and this efficient cause in its turn has an efficient cause, and this continues until the first mover is attained, who is in true reality the efficient cause of all of these intermediaries. For if the letter Aleph is moved by the letter Ba, or the letter A is moved by the letter B, and the, let, the latter is moved by the letter C, which is moved by the D, moved in turn by uh, E, this process cannot go on endlessly. So if you go all the way back to a chain of causes, the ultimate efficient cause is God for bringing everything into existence. That's really the, the whole function of that paragraph. Now we go to the bottom paragraph on page 168, and he says, similarly, we find that God is also known as the formal cause because God ultimately gives everything its form. Because uh, even though you may say that a table has gained its form from the mind of the carpenter, where did the carpenter get his ideas from, implanted ultimately from the thoughts of God? So he says, similarly, we find when attentively investigating the natural form subject to generation and corruption, that they are inevitably preceded by another form that gives that particular matter the disposition required for the reception of that particular form. The second form is in its turn preceded by another form until we finally come to the ultimate form that is necessary for the existence of the intermediate forms, while the latter are the cause of the proximate form. In other words, yes, it's true. The carpenter is the one who has the idea of what the table is going to look like. But where did the carpenter get his ideas from? He got his ideas from his mentor, who, who gave him an apprenticeship and taught him how to think about tables. And then where did that mentor get his ideas from? And you go back in a chain of causes until you get back to Hashem, the ultimate form for all that exists is God, may he be exalted. You should, and, and then he says, now let me point out that one of the arguments of the Kalamists as why it's inappropriate and why it's incorrect to call God the ultimate formal cause of all that exists is because they take an example from the carpenter and the table. And they say, well, 
a carpenter can build the table and the carpenter can cease to exist, the carpenter can pass away, and that table continues to exist without the thoughts and the form giving uh, life that the carpenter had given to the table. The table still maintains its form even in the absence of the carpenter's thoughts. So therefore, the Kalamist said that the problem with suggesting that God is the formal cause of everything is that based on that contention, it would be possible to conclude that if God were to cease to exist, the world would continue existing. And the Rambam says that that is, uh, that is a complete mistake. And he says that the universe exists in virtue of the existence of the Creator and the latter continually endows it with permanence in virtue of the thing that is spoken of as overflow, as we shall make clear in one of the chapters of this treatise. And what the Rambam is alluding to is when we get to the second section, we'll get to chapter 12, the Rambam will explain that all of existence uh, is here specifically because of this overflow of God's uh, continual, continual form-giving power to maintain the existence of all that exists, such that uh, if God were to cease, in, in theory, if God were to cease to exist, then the universe, all of reality would cease to exist as a result. And so therefore, while it's true that God is the formal cause, he is unlike any other formal cause, which can be removed from the, from the product, and the product will still exist. But God is unlike that. So in that paragraph, the Rambam has defined what it means for God to be the formal cause. And he says, because of this notion, God is called in our language, or meaning that he is the life of the world, as shall be made clear. And once again, he says that actually, we're going to get to this a little bit sooner. We're going to talk a little bit more about God being the maintainer of life, uh, as Pines writes in the footnote in chapter 72. And just a in just a few a uh, couple of chapters from now. So now that he's discussed the first the two causes that he wanted to address, he says matter on the bottom of page 169, he says as follows, matters are similar with regard to every purpose. And now he's going into final cause as far as what is the objective of the existence of all that is of the universe. He says for when a thing has an end you should seek the end of that end. What is the ultimate, by the word end, he means the ultimate objective. What is the ultimate objective of all of existence? Why are we here? Why is everything or anything here? You say, as it were, for instance, that a throne has wood as its matter, a carpenter is its efficient cause, squareness of a particular shape is its form, and its, its final cause is why do you make a chair so that someone can sit on it? And why do you make a royal throne so that the king can sit on it? But that's not the final, final cause. There's actually the, another question that you have to ask, which is like sort of like a three-year-old speaking uh, to uh, her father and saying, why are there stars in the sky? And the father says, well, you know, they, they're stars. And the, the child can go on forever saying, but why, but why, but why? If we were to ask a question, why are you making that throne? The carpenter would answer, well, it's for the king. Why does the king need a throne? Well, he needs a place to sit. Why does the king need a place to sit? 
And the answer is because we need to lift and elevate the king in stature in front of the people so that he can sit on a lofty place and people can look at him. Well, why does the king need to sit in public on a, on a royal throne? And the answer is, is that we want the king to be feared and revered. Well, why is it important for the king to be revered? And the answer is, is that because we want his orders to be obeyed. And why is it important for the king's orders to be obeyed? Because the answer is, well, we want to make sure that law and order are maintained in our country. Well, why is it important for law and order to be maintained? So that people will not end up harming each other and people will be able to live in peace and harmony. So if I were to ask you the true final cause of why the carpenter is building a throne for the king, the answer is to maintain a harmonious kingdom, right? Even though that's really not the most proximal final cause, but the real, real, the because of why the throne exists is ultimately to maintain har harmony and law and order in a kingdom. Well, the same thing is true if we ask the question, what is the, what, what is the cause, the final, final cause of all that exists in the world? So ultimately, it is to bring glory to Hashem. So in that sense, to say that God is the prime cause that also is accurate in, in, that, in, in the fact that you're suggesting that not only is God responsible for all that exists because he's the formal cause and the efficient cause, but also he's the ultimate objective of why everything exists. The whole world is created for to give glory to Hashem. And obviously the Rambam needs to elaborate on this point. And he says that there's a finer philosophical point that he's not going to get into until the third part of Moren Nevuchim to explain whether or not we can understand the mystery of why God deems it important for the world to be reflective of his glory, either because he just deemed it that way, that it was necessary, or that there's a certain wisdom that God Im embedded within creation that is reflective of that glory that we are capable of understanding. He says, that's not something that we're going to discuss now. We will get to that in the third section. But the bottom line is, is that God truly is the prime cause, meaning the ultimate, ultimate reason why everything exists is for the sake of God. And so therefore, he's now proven that God is three out of the four causes. Um, and therefore, we're going to, thus I have made clear to you in what respect it is said of him, may he be exalted, that he is an efficient cause, meaning ultimately, the fine, you know, the if you go back long enough in a chain of who actually made everything that exists, it goes back to God. God is the formal cause, endowing everything with the way with its form, the way that it the way that it everything is structured and shaped in this world. And also God is the ultimate purpose or objective of the existence of the world. For this reason, the philosophers designated him as a cause and not only as a maker. Now, to, to cause God to be um, a maker is a little bit of a stretch, and that's why Pines sort of hedges his bets, and he says that he doesn't really mean maker, he really means poel. The word poel could be translated as maker or efficient cause. But really, in reality, philosophers do not designate God as a maker. They designate him as the poel, as the moving cause or the efficient cause of all that exists. Know, however, that in some people from among the Mutakalimun engaged in speculation, 
ignorance and presumption reached, reached such a degree that finally they said that if the non-existence of the Creator were assumed, the non-existence of the thing that the Creator has brought into existence, they mean the world, would not follow necessarily. And again, this goes back to this idea. He says it does not necessarily follow that that which has been affected passes away when the Maker has passed away after being affected it, after having affected it. Now that which they have mentioned would be correct if he were only the Maker, and if the thing that he affected had no need of him for its permanence to be lasting, as is the case of the carpenter upon whose death the chest does not pass away, for he does not continually endow it with permanence. This is what I had alluded to before when I pointed out that the Rambam says that even though God is the formal cause of everything that exi exists, but he's not like um, the, the uh, carpenter. Now, as he may be exalted is also the form of the world, as we have made clear, and as he continually endows the latter with permanence and constant existence, it would be impossible that he who continually endows with permanence should disappear, and that which is continually endowed by him, and which has no permanence except in virtue of this endowment, should remain. This is the measure of the vain imaginings necessitated by the opinion that he is only a maker and not an end or a form. And therefore, what the Rambam is concluding this chapter with is, I understand where the Mutakalimun are coming from, I understand why they did not want to describe God as a cause because they felt it may be in some way diminishing from our understanding of God as a creator. It may, may be diminishing from the fact that God is, as a creator, responsible for constantly creating the world, but that's also reflected when you understand that God is the formal cause. It's not like a carpenter who's the formal cause, such that if the carpenter passes away, the table still exists, but rather God is constantly emanating form, and with, with, a, with a stoppage of that emanation, all of existence ceases to exist. Now, why didn't the Rambam address the fact that God is the material cause? I mean, ultimately, if everything exists as a result of God, Shouldn't God also ultimately be responsible for the matter that exists in this universe? Why didn't the Rambam address this material cause, the first of the four causes, in describing God? Uh, he will discuss this, and he will discuss this in the next chapter, but he will only be alluding to it. He will not say explicitly that God is the material cause. And it's important for us to, to ponder specifically why the Rambam is not prepared to make that statement. Uh, if you recall, the Rambam's dedic dedic dedicated objective in so many of the chapters of the first section of Moren Nebuchim was to distance corporeality from God. So to say that God explicitly is the material cause for all matter that exists is to insert in some way, at least in our minds, is to insert God into the material world, into the corporeal world. And that is something that the Rambam has fought very hard and very vociferously against. He wants to make sure that we don't attribute any corporeality to God. So therefore, while he will ultimately say that God is responsible for everything, including the wood that goes into the table, nonetheless, it is through a very indirect process of the movement, movements of the celestial bodies. And that's something that we're going to encounter when we study the next chapter of Ezrat Hashem next week. 
and I hope to be able to continue with you then. If All there right. are any I questions could. or comments that anyone would like to raise before we close the session for today. Great. Can you hear me, Rob? I think Josh, did you want yeah. to say something? I can't hear you, Josh, but you're welcome to um, unmute yourself. Let's see. Can you hear me now? I still still can't hear you, Josh. Um, For some reason, we're not hearing you. What I would suggest that you do is perhaps send me your, um, let me just stop sharing the screen. And if you want to type your question, that might, okay. So if I'm understanding correctly, the idea of God constantly rebuilding our reality is because the Rambam requires a constant formal cause, but doesn't that negate any end cause as the end cause last move, last moment was destroyed when God recreates the world? Well, as it's a, it's a, it's a good point, Josh, but as the Rambam will explain, he does not subscribe to the belief of the Kalamist that God is constantly destroying and recreating. That's a Kalamist belief. The Rambam believes that there's a constant maintenance of existence, but not that what exists now is a new creation from what existed a second ago. It's the same existence, but it just needs to be to be maintained, just like the beating of a heart, um, right? It's the same heart. It's just that blood needs to continue flowing through it in order for it to continue beating. That's the way he will view uh, the Ribona Shalom. And uh, the Kalamists take a contrary belief to that, as we discussed last week, that everything that is, exists now did not exist a second ago, and it's a totally different new existence. Okay? So anyway, we're going to hold it here, and we'll wish you a good week, and we'll see you, God willing, next week. Take care now, everyone.